Okay. Good morning, everyone. It is nice to be together. I'm Joe Collins, and as you might have guessed, we are in a series entitled Losing My Religion. As a matter of fact, this is the end of the series. We're doing our final lesson in the series, and maybe you're tired of that video by now. I know listening to that song over and over was cool the first couple times, but it did get old after a while. Uh, but before I get started and I, and I get into our actual uh, message for today, I did want to uh, share a funny little story that happened to me last week. So it was uh, in between meals, uh, coming up on dinner, and I was hungry. I wanted a snack. You know, sometimes you want a snack every now and then, right? And so I was scrummaging through the house, and I found a bag of chips. And it was a bag of Doritos, one of those snack-sized bag of chips. And so I was all excited because it was just the perfect amount. I was all looking forward to the, to the promise of being satisfied with this little snack just to hold me off until dinner. And I opened up the bag and no joke, there were a total of four chips in the bag. No crumbs, four chips. And two of them were stuck together. Talk about an empty promise. Talk about being let down. I mean, I don't know if you ever experienced that in life, but sometimes you just get let down. You have, you know, you're looking forward to something and, and it just doesn't satisfy. It's not what you're looking for, right? You, you just get let down. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. We're going to pray before we read. Father, it is great to be together this morning. Thank you so much for all your kindness, your love, and, and, and the blessings that you've shown each and every one of us. We are so grateful for all you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to, actually, I'm going to change this for some reason. It's not showing me my presenter notes. All right. Sorry about Well, all right, we'll just do it out of memory. Anyways, um... So uh, what we're reading here is the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually the beginning to the Sermon on the Mount. Our whole series has been taken from the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, or what we call the Beatitudes. In the Beatitudes, we, we have eight characteristics of what it means to be a Christian. And over the past eight weeks, we have studied out each one of these characteristics one at a time. So let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, the beginning to the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. If you have a phone, you can follow along on your Bible app, or if you have a regular Bible, you can, you can use that as well. Uh, otherwise, the words are on the screen. Let's go ahead and, and read. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Some of the most powerful words ever spoken. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon ever preached. And the beginning, the Beatitudes, which we just read, really lay out for us what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. These, these are qualities that are more than just personality traits. They are characteristics uh, that, that only come about by following Jesus Christ. As I've said, every week we have a few things that we want to note before we study out 
the beatitude for today. The first thing is, is that these beatitudes, these eight things that are listed here, are intended for all followers of Jesus Christ. There was no, there was no uh, differentiation uh, between person for Jesus Christ. He didn't have one standard for one person and one standard for another. No, it didn't matter who you were, how awesome you were, or how unawesome you were, whether you were rich or poor, tall or thin or whatever. It didn't matter. Everyone was expected to follow Jesus Christ to manifest these beatitudes. Secondly, everyone that follows Jesus Christ is, is expected to manifest all of the beatitudes. And so you can't pick and choose which beatitudes you want to follow. You've got you've to manifest them all. Thirdly, the beatitudes are not personality traits. These are qualities that only come about by following Jesus Christ. They're spiritual qualities that are developed in the, in the life of a, of a follower of Jesus Christ over time. Also, these beatitudes are what separate followers from non-followers. If you want to identify who a follower of Jesus Christ is, look no further than the Beatitudes. They're spelled out right there. It's kind of neat. Jesus didn't separate people in any other way other than whether they were followers or not. He didn't classify people by age or sex or gender or anything like that. It was just, are you a follower or are you not? And then lastly, these Beatitudes are from another uh, paradigm. They're from another place. They're not earthly in nature. They're spiritual in nature. And so sometimes they, they feel awkward or they feel strange, and that's to be expected because they're not of this earth. Right. Before we go on any further, let's review what we've talked about in our series, the, the Losing My Religion and the study of the Sermon on the Mount, specifically the Beatitudes. Let's, let's review for a minute. It all starts with the first Beatitude, which is, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And we talked about the idea of being empty. You think of the Monopoly guy, you know, the bankrupt guy with his pockets turned out. He has nothing. He's empty. There's nothing he brings to the table. He's, uh, he's an empty box. I think we had the analogy of an empty pizza box. It's just, it's just empty. That's how Jesus wants his followers to be. When they, when they come to him, it all starts there. It all starts with a realization of our emptiness. Because that's the only way he can fill us. From there, we become broken. And, and, and the, the Beatitude was blessed to those who mourn. And the idea of mourning is being in, co- in touch or, or aware of our sin. Of, of, of not just of our sin, but of our utter sinfulness. We talked about Isaiah, if you remember, in our study. And Isaiah had gone to the temple to worship, and he saw a vision of God, and he cried out, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah quickly, all at once, suddenly, right then and there, became... Uh, 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 a consciously aware of his own brokenness, right. his own sinfulness, and of all the sin around him. And that's what Jesus wants us to be. When we come to Jesus, when he's looking for followers, he's looking for people who are empty, people he can, he can, he can fill up. He's looking for people who are broken, right. who are aware of their sin, and of the sin around them. And they grieve over it. Right. They hurt because of it. And then we get to the concept of meek. Blessed are the meek. And when we did the study on meek, we, we talked about meek in terms of selflessness. That, that, that really meekness has a lot to do with being selfless. And we looked at a couple of examples. Abraham is the first one that comes to my mind with his nephew Lot. He gave Lot first choice of wherever he wanted to live. Even though Abraham was the greater and more powerful uh, character, he let Lot choose whichever he wanted, and Abraham would take the, the, other, the other option, whatever was left over. There was a selflessness there. But, but you also see 
in that story of Abraham and Lot and in other examples of meekness in the Bible that there's a real powerlessness that underlines it. In other words, Abraham didn't use his power over Lot. As a matter of fact, Abraham, I think if we really studied his life out, one of, his, one of, the, one of the things we'd see in his life is that he, was, he realizes just his own powerlessness as, as, as a person, that, that, that there's a point in time where we really can't control what goes on around us. And, right. and if you think you can, it's an illusion. On a personal note, this, this is coming true in my life. I've got teenage kids, and my oldest is, is beginning to go, kind of make his own way in the world. He's wanting to, to move on in life. And, and I suddenly realize that I can't influence, or con- I mean, I can't control what he's going to do. I try to influence him, and that's all I got. But even that is a bit of a figment of my own imagination. He's going to be who he is. And I'm becoming aware of my own powerlessness, my own helplessness, my own meekness that I really do have to just put it before God. Then we get to, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we talked about how righteousness biblically, biblically, it can be understood as being perfect. Remember that moment when when we put that on the screen? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And there's that point where we all gasp, we all breathe out, and we all realize, I'm not perfect. Jesus is looking for those people who realize their own unrighteousness, their own imperfection. Because there, something happens. It's, a, it's you know, in, in, in uh, 12-step programs, they call it hitting rock bottom. But, but there, at the bottom of the barrel, we begin to look up. There's nowhere else to go. When, when you're in touch with your own unrighteousness, what ends up happening, your own imperfection, what ends up happening is a desire to be righteous, a desire for something better, for perfection. And, and it's at that point that the tone of the Beatitudes change. They go from kind of a negative and they shift to kind of a positive. They go from what we aren't or what we can't be to what we can be. And so the next thing, the very next thing that Jesus says is, blessed are the merciful. It is the only, log- it is the next logical step. If you really think about it, it's the next reasonable thing to do. Once you've been empty, broken, powerless, and unrighteous, the only thing after that to do is to be merciful. Because you realize that you're not being treated as you deserve. And the only right response is to not treat others as they deserve. And so you become able. You, you, begin, to, you begin to become merciful towards others. And we, we looked at a great parable, one of the best in all the Bible, of an of a, a, a unmerciful servant who, who owed his master a massive amount of debt, but the master forgave him the debt. Right. He didn't treat him as he deserved. He could have thrown him in jail, but he didn't. And that servant turned around and did not treat another servant the same way who happened to owe him a small debt. Right. And the master was angry and threw that guy in jail. So you should have been merciful. I didn't treat you that way. You shouldn't have treated him that way. And that's, that's what Jesus wants from us. We know where, we, where we've been. We know who we are. We know what we're not and what we can never be. And out of that comes mercy. Not tolerance. Not acceptance. Not, not, a, not a laissez-faire, hey, you can be what you are and I'll be... What... No, it's not devoid of righteousness because we can see our own unrighteousness and their own unrighteousness, but we become merciful. We understand. And we want to give them what, what, we want to treat them in a way that they don't deserve. And then from there, 
became the next beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart. And if you remember, we had to break that one into two. We had to study out what pure meant, and we had to study out what heart meant. And in, in, in coming to learn what pure meant, we understood that it meant undefiled and undivided. There was a, it was a singular substance, right, in purity. It's, it's one substance. So, so God wants us to have one heart. But then there's this, also this concept of undefiled, meaning it's, it's clean. None of us have an undivided heart. The fact of the matter is we're unrighteous, and so we need to be cleansed at the same time. So we need both elements of purity. Right. We need to be singular in our, our, our devotion to God, but we also need to be cleansed right. by God. And, and, and what he does there is he makes us whole as a person. Mm-hmm. We become congruent. We're the same inside now. And then we came to blessed are the peacemakers. And when you think about being a peacemaker, you think about someone who writes what's wrong. Remember the story of Jesus with the woman caught in adultery and the whole study we did of that and how it's all been misunderstood by many different people throughout centuries. And we had to really dig into that passage to really grasp it because it's controversial and it's not without uh, conflict or controversy. And we had to wade through all that just like a peacemaker has to wade through all the conflict, all the controversy in order to fix what's broken, in order to make right what's wrong. And that's what a peacemaker does. That's what Jesus did in the story. He made things right. right. He corrected the Pharisees of their abuse of power. And at the same time, he, he called the woman to repent. Right. And, and so a peacemaker is someone who, makes, who wrongs what's right. And, and, and there's no greater wrong than people not being right with God. Right. 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 And so in that sense, if we want to be a peacemaker, then our role is to be like Christ to the world around us and is to make disciples. Right. To bring people into a right relationship with God. Right. And so we become fruitful. Right. Like children of God, we make other children of God. And that brings us to our beatitude for today. Righteousness. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness. One thing I want to note, is, is, and I changed it, I don't know if you saw the little change I made on the diagram there, but one thing I want to note about the Beatitudes is that they're not linear. It doesn't go from one to the other. It doesn't start and stop. They're actually circular. They continually happen in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. If you really want to boil down your Christian life, what is it in a nutshell, in its essence, at, at its very core, it's, it's the Beatitudes. It's a constant process of being empty, broken, powerless, unrighteous, able, whole, fruitful, and righteous. At the end of the day, Jesus' goal for every one of us is to make us righteous. And it just continually happens. There's also a a, a logical uh, flow to them, right? You start empty, then broken, then powerless, unrighteous, then you become able, whole, fruitful, and then you can become righteous. There's a logical progression. There's also a symmetry. Look at this. You start out empty, and then he makes you fruitful. You start out broken, but he wants you to be whole. You start out powerless, but he makes you able. You're unrighteous, he makes you righteous. There's an incredible symmetry. It all sort of fits together. Let me get new agey for a minute. It's all one big circle of life, right? (laughs) I'm teasing. But it's beautiful in its its symmetry, in in its continualness. And in its logic. Awesome. That's what Jesus called every one of us to be. So today we're going to now talk about what it means to be persecuted for righteousness. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs 
is the kingdom of heaven. So like we did with pure in heart, we got to break this into two components because there's two components to this. It's a phrase, persecuted because of righteousness. So we need to understand well, what is persecuted. Then we need to understand well, what is righteousness. So let's take the easy one first, persecuted. The dictionary defines it in, in, in really a good way. It means, being, it means uh, ill treatment or hostility. That's what persecution is. It's, it's, it's being treated with, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's ill treatment or hostility towards another person. That's pretty consistent with how the Bible describes persecution, as a matter of fact. So, so that one's easy. The harder word to understand is the word righteousness. What does that mean? Well, like we've done all along, we've got to talk about what it isn't first. What is it not? Well, the first thing that righteousness isn't is it isn't being objectionable or difficult or annoying. You may get persecuted, and you may think you're being righteous, but it, it might just be because of your own stupidity or folly. And we don't want to confuse righteousness with our own foolish behavior. I, this is an important one for me because I can be a very difficult person. I know it's shocking. This is the challenge of leading a small church. Everybody knows me. I can be difficult, and I have family in this church. It's even worse. <laughs> but you know, Jesus doesn't call us to be persecuted for being objectionable or difficult or annoying or are stupid. That's not, that's not righteousness in his mind. That's not what he means. We can get there. We can be persecuted for those things, but that's not what Jesus says he's going to bless us for. The second thing that Jesus says we're not going to be blessed for is for being overzealous. And this is an interesting one. You know, have you ever been around a person that, that, that's just overly religious? We need to be religious. We need to be zealous. The issue is not being overzealous or, or fanatical. Look, I'm a fan of Jesus Christ. And, and as a follower of Jesus Christ, I, I've dedicated my life to him. And, and if need be, and, and, and God willing, I'll have the strength to do it. But even if I have to be persecuted for it, I, I'll keep doing it. That doesn't mean that I have to be overly fanatical about it. I don't have to go look for the persecution. I don't have to go do things to make it come. And I also, on a lesser level, don't have to be oddly religious as if somehow that's making me more right with God and turning off the people around me. So he doesn't call us to be persecuted for being fanatical. He also doesn't call us for being persecuted for a cause. Whether it's political or whether it's religious or humanitarian, you may be one who, who has a cause. You may want to save the environment. You may want to save whales or whatever it is. Or you may, you may want to go build homes for the, the poor. I'm not saying those are wrong. Or you may have a, a, a certain political persuasion. And, and I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying Jesus didn't say he would bless you for being persecuted for those things. You can't confuse a cause with righteousness. And then lastly, and this is a tricky one, he didn't even say, bless to you for being persecuted, bless to you who are persecuted because of your goodness. There's actually a difference between being good and being righteous. There's a lot of good people in this world. And sometimes they are treated with bad, you know, wrongly or with hostility, but that doesn't mean they're righteous people. There's a lot of good people who've done a lot of good things. 
But the focus of Jesus, the end game of Jesus, as we see it in the Beatitudes, is righteousness. So what is righteousness? What does that mean? Well, let's, let's talk about that. Righteousness as it was understood in the day of Jesus. The best way to understand righteousness in the time of Jesus Christ for the average Jew, which was his audience when he was speaking the Beatitudes, was it meant that you conformed yourself to the, what's called the law of Moses. In other words, you obeyed the laws, decrees, and commands of the law of Moses. If you did that, you were considered righteous. The law of Moses was given by God at Mount Sinai back in the days of Moses, just after the Exodus. If you've seen the movie Prince of Egypt, you know what I'm talking about way back when. They left Egypt. Moses was the leader. He went up on Mount Sinai. God gave the Ten Commandments, which was really more than just ten. It was a whole law code. And Moses came down and gave that law code to the people. And that law code has defined the Israelites, the Jews, ever since. And it's an amazing blessing of God. It was a miracle. The law code. The most most beautiful law code ever created, even to this day. And so for a Jew, to be righteous meant to, to obey the law code. To obey the laws, commands, decrees found in the law of Moses. So far, so good. No problem. Pretty straightforward. Until we get to verse 11. The next thing Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He didn't say because of the law. He said because of me. In essence, what Jesus did is he said righteousness was defined not only by the law code of Moses, but also by my teachings. Now, I don't know how many people understood that right then and there. I don't know how many people in the crowd figured out that connection that he made. Maybe some did, maybe some didn't. But it became a significant connection to make. In fact, it became the very thing that separated a Jew from a Christian. Early on in the movement of of Jesus Christ, in the Jesus movement, they were understood as just being a a revival of, of of people under the Jewish faith. They were just sort of recommitting themselves to the law of Moses. Because much of what Jesus taught was consistent. In fact, all of it was consistent with the law of Moses. And Jesus did hold the law up as a standard, but he went further. He added his message, his method, his teachings. And as as time went on and more people joined the Jesus movement, that that little addition became very significant. And, And the Jews who didn't accept Jesus began to notice that there was a distinction between the two groups. And that the Christians, as they were eventually called, were actually worshiping Jesus Christ as God. And that to them was a no-no. That to them was blasphemy. And so as a result, within a few generations, or within the first century, 20, 30 years, a major division occurred between the two groups. Mm -hmm. To the point to where the Jews began to persecute the Christians. Mm -hmm. Because they believed what Jesus said. Because of me. Jesus became their standard. And so if we want to put all this together, how do we define blessed are you when you are uh, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness? Well, what we're saying is blessed are you, happy to be congratulated, ideal, fortunate are you when you're ill-treated or treated with hostility for obeying the teachings 
of Jesus Christ. That's what it means when Jesus said, blessed are you who are persecuted because of righteousness. That's the goal. That's the end game. If you want to write something down, if there's something you want to take home today, take that home. The goal is righteousness as Jesus defined righteousness. Not as the world defines it, not as other religions define it, not as a political cause or, or, or humanitarian uh, or other people define it, but as Jesus defined it. When I think about that, you know, when I did this study and, and I, I began to put this together and, it, and, and I began to think about it for my own life, I was actually surprised at the simplicity of it. You know, I don't know what it is, but even as a Christian of many years now, you sometimes think of Christianity as this kind of complicated thing where you have to be something you don't really want to be and you have to, you have to perform things that you don't necessarily want to perform or do things you don't want to do. Or, or even some people will say, well, everything that's fun is wrong and all the things that aren't fun are right. You know, sometimes you think that, but, but at the end of the day, what it really boiled down to, what Jesus was really calling us to was to be righteous. That's right. Fine. Now, if nothing else, I've learned in life that being righteous isn't a bad thing. Right. It may have its problems. It may come with trouble. But it isn't a bad thing. No one's ever been hurt by righteousness. No one's ever regretted righteousness. Right. And so for me, this it became quite compelling. Oh, that's what you want? That's what this is all about? That's what being empty and broken and powerless and, and, and realizing my own unrighteousness and all that, that's what you're trying to get me to? I can do that. I can want that. I see that. Maybe you can too. Maybe you can appreciate that. It's simple. It's straightforward. It's not complicated. We're not asking you to wear a white robe when you walk around the streets. We're not asking you to, to, to wear a funny hat or to do anything oddly inconsistent with the rest of what, what people do and whatever. We're just calling you to be righteous. Come on, right. Now, he says that when you're righteous, there's going to become persecution. It's going to come with, with it. But what comes with righteousness is also a promise. And the promise is right there. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So I thought it would be good at this point to review the promises that were given to us throughout the Beatitudes because every Beatitude had a promise. And every one of these promises has a fulfillment now and later. Remember the candy now and later? I was thinking about that. What a great name for candy, now and later. It makes me think of the promises of God. They're fulfilled now, but they're also fulfilled later. It became my favorite candy after realizing that. That's a good candy. I'm going to start buying now and later. But the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is the same as the last one. Blessed are you when you're persecuted because of righteous, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what we get here, when, we, when you put that together, it begins and ends with the kingdom of heaven. The promises of Christ begin and end with the kingdom of heaven. There is nothing more important in this world than the kingdom of heaven. We'll add to that in a minute. We'll talk about that in a minute. But before we go, what's the next one? Well, blessed are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. That's what God wants to do. That's what He promises each and every one of us. He promises us comfort 
in our, t- in our time of trouble, in, in, the, in the pain and the grief we feel over our own sin, when we're in that place, there's a promise. I'm going to comfort you. And that promise is now. It's today. You can be comforted even though you're a sinner. Amen. Even though you make mistakes. Even though you violate uh, 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 the law of God or the will of Jesus Christ or, or do things that are wrong to other people, you can be comforted. And then there's a promise later of comfort that will last for eternity, where it'll all just be taken away. All of your sin and unrighteousness will just be gone. Then we get down to power. Remember, we talked about blessed are those who are meek and the idea of being selfless and and just letting it all go because you really never had control of it to begin with. And Jesus says at the end of that one, we're going to have to go back and refer to that one, Matthew chapter 5. He says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. When I thought about earth, the thing that dawned on me was what he's really saying there is, look, if if you let it all go, if you realize your own powerlessness before me, then you become a very powerful person in this world. Because you you can rise above just about any challenge that comes your way by realizing that God is in control, that God is sovereign, and that you don't have to do that. That it's not up to you to fix it, or to or to correct it, or to make something change. Because you don't have that power to begin with. That's what the meek person is. And when somebody's meek, it's amazing how powerful they become, how much they actually inherit. And again, this is something that happens ongoingly. It doesn't go away. It's it's every day in our Christian life. The more meek we are, the more powerful we become. Because the more detached, the, 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 more, the, more, uh, the, the less dependent we are on the world and the things of the world around us. Mm-hmm. You ever met someone like that? Mm-hmm. You're just impressed with them because they, can just, they just seem to rise above it. Mm-hmm. Then we get to satisfaction. Remember, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It says, for they will be filled. The idea here is that they will be fed. They will be satisfied. That desire for something better will be given to you. It happens now, and it will happen later. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Who here doesn't want mercy? Who here doesn't want to be treated not as they deserve? There's a lot of negatives there, but I don't know how to say it any other way. Who here doesn't want better treatment? We know how we ought to be treated, but we want something better. We want mercy, and that's a promise of Jesus Christ. If you're merciful, you will be given mercy. That will happen now, and it will happen later. And then he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. There's a promise of vision. There's a promise that you will see something that no one else in the world sees. That people uninitiated into Jesus Christ cannot see. They cannot see God. They cannot see God working in circumstances, in the environment, in your life, through people. They can't see it. But you can. What a great promise of vision. You can see God's hand at work in your life. And then you will see him face to face one day. And then blessed are the peacemaker. It says for they will be called sons of God. And we we talked about how a peacemaker is like a little mini Christ, right? A mini me of Christ. And what is his job? His job is to make people right with God. It's a purpose. There's a purpose that's given to every one of us who make the decision to follow Jesus Christ, who make the decision to embrace the message of the Beatitudes, to step into that community, you now have a purpose. 
And that purpose is better than any other purpose, by the way. It's bigger and better than all the humanitarian or religious or political causes you make. And I'm not saying you can't do those, but I'm saying this is the, the bigger one. Amen. This is the more lasting. This is the more permanent. This is the more, the more real one. This is the one that trumps all the others. Right. Helping other people get right with God. And that can happen now. You can be used by God today to bring people into a right relationship with God tomorrow. Amen. Every last one of us can be used by God today. And then we come back to where we started. Blessed are you who are persecuted because of righteous, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It begins and ends with the kingdom of heaven. So what is the kingdom of heaven? What does he mean? when he talks about the kingdom of heaven? Well, the best way to define it is it's wherever the will of God is being done. It's wherever God reigns. God is the king of heaven. He is in heaven. Wherever he reigns is his kingdom. In the old days, in the, in the Moses days, it was the people of Israel. That's where the law of God was given. That's where it was based. And that's where the, that, that community, that, that people followed and obeyed the laws and commands and decrees of the law of Moses. And they were the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' time, it became his followers, which eventually became the church. Where is the kingdom of heaven today? It's the church. It's not only the church, because that's not the only place that the will of God is being done. But the church is a part of the kingdom of heaven. Right. And so whenever someone becomes a member of the church, whenever someone submits their will to the will of Jesus Christ, they step in to the kingdom of heaven. And they will receive comfort, power, satisfaction, mercy, vision, purpose, and they will end in the kingdom of heaven. Amen. <clears throat> now, I don't know about you, but that's where I want to be yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah, that's where I want everybody I know to be mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Amen. In the kingdom of heaven. Because there's going to come a time where everything else will be removed and the only thing that actually remains is the kingdom of heaven. And anything that's not of the kingdom of heaven will be gone. And only what is in the kingdom will remain. Like the Beatitudes, the promises are continual. They're logical. They're symmetrical. They, they just keep going. Around and around and around. Now and later. It just doesn't stop. When you, when you think about that, you know, I know for me, when I thought about that, it, it really made, for me, my desire to follow Jesus all that much greater. Amen. It's a funny thing, but when you kind of break it down, you look at it, I, I, you know, we're in a hotel here, it kind of feels like some sort of business presentation. I'm going to have you break up with your, your counselor and we're going to sell you some timeshares, right? And, and, and it's kind of the same thing. If you ever go to a timeshare presentation, they tell you how it's going to be the greatest thing ever and it's going to satisfy your life. The difference is this actually does. That's what's okay about standing up here and being the salesman, so to speak. The best timeshare ever. The kingdom of heaven. How could you not want that? Makes me want it. You know, I started off and I was thinking about eating those chips and, and, you know, looking forward to a nice snack 
and I was bitterly disappointed. But the great thing about the promises is they're not empty. Jesus' promises are not empty. No one here, by following Jesus, is going to open up his little bag of promises and find four chips in there. It's going to be a full bag that's going to satisfy and it's going to deliver. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. At this time, we're going to prepare ourselves for communion. When we think about communion, it's a time to remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, without which none of this would happen. None of these promises would be given. None of these blessings would be ours without Jesus' death on the cross. So when we take the bread and we take the cup, it's our time to remember him. It's our time to connect, to commune, to eat with him. And to, and to connect on an intimate, individual, personal level with Him. And remember what He's done for every one of us. Right. Let's go to God and pray, and we'll take the communion. Father, we are so grateful for this time to be together. We're so thankful for all Your promises, you, all Your blessings.